Well, as I just prayed, today we're going to see one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life, that if you're a Christian, you can call God your Father. Now, I've been a father for almost three years now. Some of you might have met my children, Micah and Bree, uh, and it can be some of my greatest joys getting to play with Micah, kicking a ball around with Micah, or Bree as she grows up. She's learning her words at the moment, and she points to a bird, and she goes, Burr! And I'm like, yeah, it's a bird, Brie. Um, great joys with your children. But your children can also deeply sadden you. It saddens me when I see Micah and Brie fighting over toys or pushing other kids or not listening, disobeying. My children can both uh, please me and grieve me. And regardless of how they may act, it doesn't change the relationship to me. Regardless of that, they're still my children, but it does affect me. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. If you're a Christian, then you're a child of God, and nothing will change that. However, the way we live our lives can please God or grieve God. Paul's, Paul prays in Colossians that the church may work, walk worthily of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. See, that, that we may walk fully pleasing to God. And in Ephesians, he says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. And so we see our lives can actually please God and grieve God. And so our question today is how can we please God? That's our question today. And we're going to see three points. Firstly, that we can't please God by ourselves. Secondly, we can please God by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we seek to please God because we're already adopted. Firstly, we cannot please God by ourselves. Now, this point might sound a bit negative, uh, but actually, if you can hear it, it points to the beauty that God saves us. Come with me to verse 1 and see the beautiful truth of being a Christian. Verse 1. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Romans says here that if you have put your trust in Jesus, there is no condemnation. You have sinned, you've cheated, you've been greedy, all amounts of things you might have done, but God has judged your sin on Jesus' death on the cross. And so that's the good news of Christianity. Forgiveness offered to everyone, no matter how far you've fallen, And so if you haven't already, could I encourage you to consider putting your trust in Jesus today or consider coming along to the life course where you might know this joy of having no condemnation in Jesus. But God doesn't just save us to leave us to live a broken life in this world. He doesn't leave us unchanged. God actually saves us so that we can please him. Come with me to verse 3. What the law could not do, since it was limited by the flesh... God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering. Here this passage speaks about God's law, God's law in the Old Testament. And we often think laws are kind of a nuisance, something to be avoided. As good Australians or New Zealanders, we kind of just want to avoid laws. But God's law is not like that. It's not a nuisance. God's law is good and beautiful. Josh had it read up for us before where Jesus summarized the law. Jesus summarizes the law as love God and love your neighbor. 
God's law is beautiful and it was meant to save us, but the law was limited by something. Look at verse 3. What was the law limited by? The law wasn't limited by itself, but it was limited by the flesh, by our flesh, by our sin. That's why the law wasn't able to save us. But God did what the law, because of our flesh, couldn't do. God saved us. And in verse 4, we see why he saved us. Verse 4, in order that the law's requirements would be accomplished in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we see that God saved us so that the law would be accomplished in us. Now we Christians sometimes get confused about God's relate or our relationship to God's law. Uh, you might know that God's law reveals your sin and your need for Jesus. That's the first use of the law, and most important, you can see it there. God's law reveals our sin and our need for Jesus. We've already seen that throughout Romans. But as we've just heard, God's law is good and beautiful. To love God and love your neighbor is something that is very important. And so, even though that's the first use of the law, it's not the only use of God's law. Because once we are Christians, God's law continues to tell us what pleases him. And so some parts of the law may have been fulfilled by Jesus. We don't have earthly priests here today because Jesus is our high priest. And we don't have sacrifices today because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. But even still today, other parts of the law instruct our lives as Christians. Other parts like you shall have no other gods before God. Or do not covet your neighbor's wife or his house. That is, don't desire something that is not yours. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 4 that the law would be accomplished in us who walk according to the Spirit. We are free from the condemnation of the law, but our freedom doesn't mean that we just disobey the law, that we live life however. It doesn't matter how it might treat others or treat God. Rather, as saved people, we obey the law and even begin to fulfill it and accomplish it today. But how can we fulfill the law? This has kind of been Romans' problem throughout. It's told us how we're broken as humanity. And verses 5 to 8 continues to describe this brokenness as it describes those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And in verse 8 we read, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What a bleak verse. That if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. We often think humanity's not that bad, that surely God is impressed by us. But this verse tells us that you cannot please God by yourself. And this is offensive to us and to our world. But if you have the ears to hear it, it's actually a beautiful truth. Because it tells us that we no longer have to constantly look to our own accomplishments as to whether we'll be right with God, but that we can look to God and that he saves us through Jesus. Uh, some of you might know of or maybe have read a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it was written, written about the 1680s. It was an allegory about the Christian life written by a guy called John Bunyan. And he describes the main character, whose name is Christian, as he becomes a Christian and then lives the Christian life. But before he's a Christian, he starts to become aware of his sin. 
He starts to read God's law and see how he meant to love God and love his neighbor. And so he tries to do that more and more. But he just keeps seeing how he's failing and failing. And so he gets a greater burden on his back, heavier and heavier. It's kind of symbolizing the burden that you might feel in your heart as you try to please God by yourself. And so greater and greater, he feels that burden until he comes to the cross. And in the story, he comes to the cross and he realizes that he can't save himself, that he can't please God by himself. And he sees that Jesus has actually paid the price for all his sins, all those burdens that are on his back. And at that time, as he looks at the cross, the burdens fall off his back and he's relieved. He's relieved of that. He feels that, like verse 1 we saw, that there is no condemnation for those in Jesus. For though, so though the gospel is an offensive message, if you have ears to hear it, it's a beautiful message because we realize that God saves us. And Romans continues to speak about those who are in the flesh who cannot please God and those who are in the spirit and can please God. There's no middle ground between the two. You're either in the flesh or in the spirit. And I wonder, who do you think you are? Looking at myself, I feel pretty fleshy. I've got flesh on my bones. Looking at you guys, you all look pretty fleshy. But look at what verse 9 says. Verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Paul wants the Romans to know that despite their flesh-like appearance, that they are actually in the Spirit. And notice that the word Spirit is capitalized. This isn't just a force or an idea, but this is the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our second point. We can please God by the Holy Spirit. That we are no longer living in the realm of the flesh, unable to fulfill God's law, but rather God has given us his Holy Spirit so that even today we can begin to love God and love our neighbor. And verse 9 makes it clear that every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. This isn't a gift for just some special select few, but that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is amazing because he's actually started new life in you today. I don't know if you knew that, that when you became a Christian, that you actually had new life start in you by the Holy Spirit. Come with me to verse 10 as we see this new life described. Verse 10, now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal mortal bodies to life through his Holy Spirit who lives in you. Our bodies are destined to die but the Holy Spirit living in us has already started new life. Christians both have death and life a part of us. And this actually affects our future and how we live today. Verse 11 describes how it affects our future when it says, currently our bodies actually live in the realm of the flesh. We see that in verse 10 that they're destined to die. But in the future, our mortal bodies will be raised perfected. In the future, our bodies will be in the realm of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that they won't be physical like Jesus' resurrection. They'll be definitely physical, but they'll be in the realm of the Spirit, able to please God fully. 
But the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just an assurance for the future. is isn't just assurance of future resurrection life. More than that, the gift of the Holy Spirit changes how we live today. And we can see this in verse 12. Paul starts saying, so then. He's connecting what has just been said about the Holy Spirit living in us. In verse 12 he says, so then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to deeds, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Because of the new life from the Spirit, we're told to put to death deeds of the body. We must no longer use our mouths to speak harshly, or our hands to steal, or our eyes to lust after things that aren't ours. Rather, we're now to use our mouths to encourage, our eyes to consider the needs around us, and our hands to give to supply those needs. We're to put to death the deeds of the body. And verse 13 shows us that we're active in putting sin to death. This isn't something that you can just let go and let God, but actually you need to be actively involved in this. But it's also true that at the same time, it's only by the Spirit that we'll have any success. Verse 13 says, By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. But my question is, how do you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the bodies by the Spirit? How does the Spirit work here? Well, if you're a Christian and maybe... You might know that God's Spirit works through His Word, that we can't divide God's Spirit from His Word. And as we've heard today, God's Spirit is in our minds, He's in our bodies, and God's Spirit is in His church here as we gather. And so God's Spirit works through His Word, through ourselves and through one another to convict us of sin. And God's Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. A wise pastor once wrote, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. I wonder, when was the last time you saw sin in your life and fought it? When someone suggests that you're being unloving, do you listen to their concern? Do you listen to your spouse's concern, your children's concern, your pastor's concern, whoever it may be? I remember working alongside a dearly loved Christian brother, uh, much love for him, and I remember in a meeting he would he might give some harsh, critical feedback. And he would say, oh, that's just the way I am. I'm just a critical thinker. But without considering how his harsh feedback might be unloving. And sometimes I've thought about myself like this too, and continue to do so. I remember in the past, a sister in Christ came graciously pointing out to me that I might be arrogant and proud of my speech. And I remember justifying it like, oh, that's just the way I am. It's part of my humor. That's just the way I am. It can be a good phrase for acknowledging God-given differences between us. But it can be a good phrase for excusing sin in our lives today. And so when we see sin in our lives, we need to recognize it as sin. Confess that sin. Pray for God's help and kill that sin. 
so we can please God by the Holy Spirit. But why do we seek to please God? We've seen already that it's not to be saved. We can't do this by ourselves. Jesus has already saved us. Why do we seek to please God? And it's our third point. We seek to please God because we are already adopted. Like a child wanting to please his parents, we too seek to please God, our Heavenly Father. Come with me to verse 14 and see how we are described. Verse 14. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. That is, we are all God's sons. Now don't be confused by the gendered language here. Some translations say children of God. This is describing every Christian here, verse 14. But the language of son is relevant because in their culture, only sons would get the inheritance. They were in the privileged position in the family. And so here, Romans is saying that everyone who trusts in Christ is in the privileged position in the family, that you have the inheritance. And our honored position should give us great confidence before God. Come with me to verse 15 as we see the confidence that we should have. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That is, when we speak to the God of the universe, we say our heavenly Father. Have you stopped to consider just how outrageous that is? That the God who made everything, who flung stars across the sky, who lives in unapproachable light, and like Jesus, we address him as our dad. We say our heavenly father. It's amazing. And this is even more amazing because God didn't owe us anything. He chose to adopt us. And so we don't have to live in fear. Even when we're struggling with sin, we can cry out to God to help us. Now, you might not have a good relationship with your earthly father. Maybe he was cruel, oppressive, harsh. Maybe you feared him. I know for myself as a father, I feel too often that maybe I am those things and I'm reminded of what my heavenly father teaches me, of what it is to be a father. But however our earthly fathers may have imperfectly lived up to our heavenly father, verse 15 shows us that this isn't a relationship of fear, but one of perfect love. J.I. Packer, a theologian, describes adoption as one of the greatest gifts of the gospel. And he encourages Christians to remind themselves every day these six things. He encourages Christians to remind themselves that I am a child of God, that God is my Father, heaven is my home, every day is one day nearer, my Savior is my brother, and every Christian is my brother too. Beautiful truths that so often we actually need to soak in and continually remind ourselves as we forget that we are children of God, that God is our Father, that heaven is our home, and that every day is one day nearer. Our Savior is our brother, and every one of us are brothers too. When you realize that you've been adopted as God's child, then you actually have safety to bring your sin into the light. 
because no sin can undo your adoption. You can confess sin at church, in your gospel teams, with your Christian brother or sister, with your spouse. You can confess your sin and ask for help. Brothers and sisters, we seek to please God because we are already adopted. We don't look for bare minimums. Rather, in every situation, we say, how can we please God? We say, how can I use my time to please God? How can I use my money to please God? How can I use my skills to please God? And honestly, I'm so encouraged by our church here. I think we are doing this. I've been here for about a year, and throughout this year, I regularly see people looking to maximize how they can love God and love their neighbor. I see people arrive early to church to set up. People stay late to pack up and to welcome newcomers. I see people signing up for cleaning, people leading us in singing, people offering items for the Conan family, as we heard last week. People going out to share the gospel, inviting people to the life course. So many things are happening, and that's just inside our church life. Of course, pleasing God extends outside of that. But brothers and sisters, be encouraged because we are doing this. We are seeking to please God. But as we do that, remind yourselves why. It's because God has already adopted us. And so brothers and sisters, as we wrap up, let us be reminded that our Heavenly Father is both pleased by our actions and grieved by our actions. And as we remember this, we need to remember firstly that we can't please God by ourselves. We need to be saved by Jesus. And if you haven't already put your trust in Jesus, do it today and hear those beautiful words, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. However, once you've put your trust in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit who's created new life in you, such that you can please God by the Spirit. Through the Spirit, we can increasingly love God and love our neighbor. And as we do this, we seek to please God because we are already adopted. God is our Father, and like any father, our actions can please Him or grieve Him. God has made you His child, And nothing can change that. But as children, we now seek to please him. Let's pray to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Help to remind us that Jesus has paid for all our sins. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit, that one day he will raise our mortal bodies Help us to put sin to death by the Spirit as we await that final resurrection. And Father, thank you that you have adopted us, that we are now your children. Help us to see how we can please you in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.